You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Mission Church is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. Now we hope you enjoy the message from our Sunday gathering. Welcome again. My name is Travis. I'm the pastor of Preaching and Theology here at Mission Church. And I hope you guys are doing well. All of us last night got an extra hour of sleep. How many of you see that as just the common grace of God? Amen. Yeah? So you guys, I imagine, are really awake because I'll tell you right now, you get to sit in the front row, you get to hear the church sing, and you guys sounded great this evening. So well done. Well done. I can tell you are rested. So that's great. We're going to continue in our series through the book of Acts. We've entitled this Empowered for Jesus' Mission. Why is that? It is because Jesus is not done with this world. The book of Acts is telling us what he is doing from his seat in heaven to empower his church now. Some of you heard me talk about this, but about 13 years ago, I found myself basically alone in a convention center with about 1,000 people from Uganda. I was over in Uganda with a bunch of friends from a church. We were teaching at a leadership conference. And I guess some of the people in the church got tired or hungry and they decided to leave. There was only one problem. They forgot me. And so for about 20 to 30 minutes, I was all alone in a room of about a thousand Ugandans. And I'll be honest with you, I did not notice. I did not notice I was alone until they came back and told me, Travis, we had left you. Why is that? It's because in that room, there were many other Christians, many other followers of Jesus. And when I look back upon that experience, I noticed something very clear. We didn't have much in common. I was from the US, they were from Uganda. I was married, many of them were single. I had kids, had one and another one on the way. Many of them didn't have kids, but the conversation was rich. Why? Because of Jesus. One thing that I've noticed as I've traveled around this world is that Jesus isn't done with this place. You see, what Jesus is doing in the book of Acts, much of what he is doing in the book of Acts is still continuing on today. I've been in parts of this world that are indifferent to Jesus. I've been in parts of this world that are hostile to Jesus. And yet in each and every one of those places, there are still people faithfully sharing Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is still empowering his church. And it all begins in Acts chapter two. Listen to what it says in Acts two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So Luke tells us that the disciples are what? They're all together in one room. It's the time for Pentecost, which is one of the three festivals the Israelite people would celebrate. In the Old Testament, God not only gave his people the law, but he also gave them some practices that they were to live out that were to remind them of God's goodness and grace in their lives. And oftentimes these practices were accompanied by festivals. Now, don't miss this mission, church. God commanded his people to eat. It is holy to eat, amen? And so God looks at them and he says, I want you to do these festivals. I want you to do these practices. I want you to remember my goodness and grace in your life. And these festivals oftentimes accompanied, or these festivals accompanied feast. It's about 50 days after the Passover, And the Passover was a time in which all people who were able would come into Jerusalem and they would remember God's goodness and grace by rescuing their ancestors out of 400 years of Egyptian slavery. We read about this in the Exodus. For God told his people that if they were to take a perfect, unblemished one-year-old lamb, sacrifice it and place its blood on their doorpost, 
when the death angel came through, the final plague, what would that death angel do? He would see that blood and he would pass over that house, sparing their son, their firstborn son. It was through sacrifice, the sacrifice of a lamb that they were spared. Does that sound familiar? It should. It's supposed to point us to Jesus. Now, it's 50 days after this feast, and we're at Pentecost, which just simply means 50, 50 days after the Passover. People, like they did for the Passover, who were able, would all come back into Jerusalem, fill it up, and they would celebrate Pentecost, or what is known as the Day of Feast. We read in Leviticus 23, 16 this. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. At this festival, the people would bring their first, first fruits, the best of their crops, and they would offer it at the temple to God, which is something we still kind of practice here today. When we give, we give our first fruits to God. At Passover, they would look back and they would celebrate God's rescue and redemption. But at Pentecost, they would celebrate God's present provision and sustaining grace in their lives. Think about it. People from all over the world would travel into Jerusalem just to give God an offering at the temple. That's what is going on. And what were the followers of Jesus doing? Well, Luke tells us about 120 of them were all together in one place or in one room. They had seen the resurrected Jesus. They had sat under his teaching for 40 days. They have seen him ascended and they went back to the room and they were worshiping and praying and waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come in their lives. You see, these followers of Jesus weren't just simply offering things to God, but rather they were sitting there in expectation, praying and waiting for God to send his spirit in one place. Why would they do that? Because mission, you have to hear me. That's what the people of God do. They gather together. The writer of Hebrews is so helpful when he says it in Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, you and I, we are to consider how to grow one another in our faith, but we're also not to give up what? Meeting together as some Christians were in the habit of doing. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I'm here, Travis. Don't you put that on me, Ricky Bobby, right? I mean, I'm here, I'm present, I'm doing what this says. But many of us, we know people in our lives who claim to follow Christ, who have gotten out of the practice of meeting with the gathered church. I'm sure I'm not the only one who has invited somebody to church and they look at you and they go, oh, no, I don't do that. I don't do that type of stuff. You see that mountain over there? Me alone on that mountain with God, that's church or me over by this lake alone with God, that's church. But here's what you've got to understand. That's not church. Many of us, if we're honest, and I wanna be careful here, and I'll probably read from my notes because I wanna be really careful here. There are some who would love to gather with us right now, but are unable to because of health reasons, either their health reasons or somebody else's. And most of those people that I talk to, they'll say, Pastor, we will be there. We will be amongst the people of God once we are able. I am not talking to them. I am not talking to them. You see, I praise God for the common grace of technology. 
But when I read the scriptures, church, I see that technology is to be supplemental, but in no way is to replace the embodied, gathered people of God when they are able. You see, I really don't think watching somebody like Tony Evans or maybe Chuck Stanley or any other pastor alone in your home is what Jesus had in mind about church. I mean, if we're honest, over these last seven seven to nine months, it's been easier to catch something online whenever we want, mainly because we got into the habit of it, right? Just this past week, my wife and I were kind of lamenting the times in which we were fully online. We enjoyed getting up a little later on Sunday. We enjoyed moving around slowly eating breakfast. My family enjoyed watching myself and Pastor John on the TV when Pastor John and I were sitting there texting each other the whole time, cringing, because we're like, that's what we sound like? You know what I'm saying? Like, like they enjoyed that. But my wife told me part of the reason she enjoyed, enjoyed that, because we've been married about 19 years. And most often on Sundays, we don't get to sit together in the service, in the gathering. Most of the time I'm preaching and she is serving somewhere else. And if I'm honest, there will be times in which I probably wouldn't be on time to church unless I was preaching. But friends, I'm sorry, please hear me. Being alone amongst yourselves is not the church. The church is something we are together. Dr. Ray Ortland says it beautifully in his book, Gospel, like this. He says, there are no churchless Christianity in the Bible. We individualistic Americans need to face that. God is building a new community and it is worth belonging to. Mission, I love you guys. I pray for you each and every day. I love you so much. And what I'm about to say or what I've been saying is hard. I've been saying it to myself all this week. It's hard to gather together right now, isn't it? Especially when we have little ones with us. When we have to wear masks, we have to meet in the afternoon or we have to meet physically distant. It's inconvenient. Yet when I read in the scriptures, I never see convenience as a prerequisite to gathering as the church. Don't forget what Lucas said in this text, 120 people gathered together for 50 days in one room. I imagine that was stinky, right? I mean, they they didn't flee out there a whole lot. They didn't just travel around. Jesus said, wait, and they waited and they gathered and they prayed and they worshiped and they cried out to God. And I love when people come up to me and they say, pastor, I wanna get back to the simplicity of the early church. And I usually respond, that's great, I would love to do that too. I'll see you on Monday, I'll see you on Tuesday, and I'll see you on Wednesday. Because we're gonna see as we go through this book, what did they do? They met daily in the temple courts and house to house. Don't be mistaken, the early church didn't meet less than we do now. They met significantly more. And you and I, we cannot practice the 59 one another's of the Bible unless we are around one another because our togetherness, church, is essential to our witness. We're gonna see that throughout the book of Acts, that people saw the church meeting all together in the temple, the church meeting all, or meeting in smaller communities called house church. And what does it say when people see that and they see God's grace amongst them? That God adds to their number daily those who are being saved. You see, our togetherness is essential for our witness. So they're all together in one place. And what happens when they're all together? Check it out, verses two and four. And suddenly there came from heaven the sound of it like a mighty rushing wind. 
and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, as or like of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what's happening here? It's something entirely new. Luke tells us by using a simile with, like, with the word like. You and I get this. We say things like, well, it tasted like chicken. Is it chicken? No. Is it better than chicken? Perhaps. My friend, Pastor Andrew, that I told you in Ireland, when I asked him, I said, Andrew, what is rugby? His quote, and I quote, it was this. Rugby is like football, American football, but it's for men. <laughs> and I got the offense. But what is Andrew saying? It's like it, but it's so much better. You see, there's no doubt that Luke is pointing us back to Old Testament manifestations of the Spirit coming upon particular situations or people for a time. But what is happening here in Acts chapter 2 is so much better. Why? Well, like in the Old Testament, the Spirit came. But he came in the Old Testament for a specific and limited time. In Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit came, guess what? The Spirit remains. The church is all together in one place. And suddenly the Spirit fills the room like the sound of a mighty rushing wind and like fire. Think about the descriptions that Luke uses here. Many of us who have lived in Las Vegas for any length of time, we understand mighty rushing winds, amen? I'm sure I'm not the only one that has heard the wind go between the houses or whip through the trees. I'm sure I'm not the only one that has seen the wind in Las Vegas rattle my windows, uproot my plants, take our tent that is right out front here and send it across the street. And if you were to go fly a kite in that wind, most of us wouldn't go to the Dollar Tree to buy a kite, would we? Because we know that it would not last. We'd go get something substantial. But think about that kite for a second. Without the wind, what is it? It's lifeless. It's just laying on the ground. It's dead. It's not until the wind comes and fills its sails that it is lifted up. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 33, which we're going to hit here in a couple weeks, we see that what Jesus is doing is he's pouring his spirit out upon those who believe, bringing them new life, but also empowering them to live his mission. Jesus says as much in John chapter 3. He's talking to a religious leader there by the name of Nicodemus, and listen to what he says. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from, where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You see, just like the Spirit breathes new life into dead corpses in Ezekiel chapter 37, Jesus is saying that the Spirit is going to bring life into our dead, sinful hearts. And it's not like he just comes in and saves you and then he just ghosts you and he takes off, but rather the Spirit remains with you to grow you, to shape you, to be more like Jesus, to give you gifts to serve Jesus' people, but also to empower you for Jesus' mission. And we know that the Spirit is like fire, that it's not literal fire, because if the followers of Jesus caught on fire, that wouldn't be good news. That'd be a bad day, right? But just like the wind lifts us up, what does a fire do? It warms us up. This past summer, our family had the opportunity to get out of this heat and go up to Utah to camp. 
And at night, it would get really, really cold. And one of the things we would look forward to every single night, because at this particular campsite, they allowed us to have fires, and we would look forward to that fire. Why? Because as it got colder, our hands got numb. And when we would light that fire, that fire would warm our hands, right? And we could start to feel again. Jesus is telling us in John chapter 3 that when you experience the Spirit's work in your life, He makes your heart alive. He warms your dead heart to the things of Jesus, to love Jesus, to feel Jesus, to want Jesus. But the Spirit not, but fire not only warms our hands and warms our lives, but the the fire also what? It illuminates, right? And I can remember on the last day of that camping trip, we had the entire campsite to ourselves. Everybody just left. And we had that fire going and you could see what was around us. But when that fire went out, what was it? It was dark and you couldn't see hardly a thing. Jesus tells us in John chapter 16, he says that it is better guys for him to go away. Why? Because when he goes away, he's gonna send the helper. He's gonna send the Holy Spirit. So many of us think that it's better to have Jesus beside us, but Jesus says, no, it's better for me to send my spirit to be inside you, to convict you of sin and of righteousness and to bring you back to me. But also in John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says that when the spirit comes, he's going to do what? He's gonna remind you of the things in which Jesus taught. He's gonna remind you of the words of Jesus. Every time you and I feel or hear wind or see fire, be reminded of what the spirit is doing in your life. But notice what this fire looks like. It looks like tongues. Well, what does that mean? You might remember from chapter one of this book, we read this, one verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, there's an entire movement that is made out of these verses. One movement even gets their name from this event called Pentecostal. And there are some of us in this room, if we're we're honest, we're a bit scared of the spirit. He's mysterious. We don't really know him. He's kind of like that crazy uncle that shows up at the family reunions, just, you know, sharing weird things, weird stories and weird statements. Yet there is nothing in this text or the rest of the Bible for that matter that communicates anything of this sort. The Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit applying Jesus' salvation to you. Speaks of the spirit adopting you into the family of God speaks of the spirit comforting you and how many of us need that comfort right now, amen? Speaks of the spirit encouraging you, strengthening you, leading you and growing you to be more like Jesus. And what Luke is telling us here in Acts is that the same spirit who does all of that, guess what? Empowers you to live out Jesus's mission. Friends, please don't miss what Paul says about the spirit in Ephesians chapter one. Check it out. In him, you also... That's in in Jesus, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, that is Jesus, were what? Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of the inheritance, our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What Paul is picturing here is that of a king who has a signet ring and he takes that ring and he presses it into wax and that seal cannot be broken, right? And that's the idea we get. You see, the spirit is kind of like earnest money on a house. 
If you buy a house, you put down earnest money as a good faith promise that you are going to what? Purchase that house. And the spirit is like God's good faith promise, a God who cannot lie, amen? Numbers 23, that you belong to him. If you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, you cannot lose that. Why? Because God is good on his promise. The spirit is in you, with you. Why? Because we worship a good God. You look in the Old Testament, what do we see happening there, right? God amongst them in the garden and sin happens. And he's, because of sin, people are separated from God. But from Genesis 3.15 onward, God is on a mission. He meets with his people in a tabernacle, a tent, and everybody just set up their campsites all around the tent, like the, the tent where God was meeting. Then he was in a temple and then he comes in Christ. And then what does he say? Better for me to go away so that God can get really close to you, that he can be in you, with you by the spirit. You see, God's passion in this life is to create a people for himself in which he can indwell. And church, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that is you. The spirit is not some crazy uncle. He's more like a cool cousin, if you will. He's with you and he's in you. And Luke says the spirit is like tongues of fire and we see why in the rest of these verses. Check it out. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are all of those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear, or that we hear each of us in his own native tongue or native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites? And residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and parts of Libya, according to, to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. We cover a bunch of texts here, and here's the reason why. I don't want us to miss the point Luke is making that what these people were speaking in this moment were known dialects. If you don't believe me, three times in this text, Luke says what? In verse person heard them speaking in his own language. Verse eight, they were amazed because they couldn't believe these Galileans knew their native language. Verse 11, the Jews and Cretans heard followers of Jesus telling of the mighty works of God in their own tongues. These followers of Jesus were not speaking some unknown angelic language. That's 1 Corinthians 14. Here they are speaking known languages. Why? Because devout men from every nation under heaven had come into Jerusalem for Pentecost. And Jesus said that when my spirit comes upon you in power, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the uttermost parts. You can almost say that the Holy Spirit was putting the ball on the tee and he was saying, swing away guys because you're gonna bat over a thousand. The people are astonished. Why? Because where are these guys from? They're from Galilee. And if you know anything about Galilee, it's a very rural area, an uneducated area. 
This would be like, I don't know. I don't even know if you guys would even know who this is, but somebody like Uncle Cy from Duck Dynasty. You remember that guy? This would be like him going into the United Nations and all of a sudden preaching the gospel in perfect Mandarin. That would probably get an ear. And then he switches over to Arabic and then Hindi and then Spanish and then German and everybody would be like, whoa. Now, I don't have this gift. Whenever I've gone into another country, I've had to use a translator. I speak fluently Kentuckian because that's where I'm from. And on a good day, I can speak English. But I have a friend who lives in a different part of the world in which there's little to no access to Jesus. He grew up in the South. He spent some time here in Las Vegas. And when you hear him on the phone, because I called him one time and his landlord came over, I heard him start to speak in the language of that culture and his accent was just as good and he has told me some people are astonished better than some of the locals. Why would the spirit gift my friend like that? Well, listen to what Jesus says in John 16, 14. He will glorify me. He's talking about the spirit. The spirit is not an it. It's not a force like Star Wars. It's a person. It's he. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. What does Jesus say the spirit will do when he comes? He will glorify Jesus. The spirit is all about Jesus, friends. He brings you to Jesus. He indwells you and grows you to be more like Jesus. He gives you gifts to build others up in the church to be like Jesus, but he also empowers you to be on Jesus's mission. And the question you have to ask yourself is just simply this, am I a witness? Jesus doesn't say we might be witnesses. He doesn't say we even have a choice in being his witnesses. Rather, he says, when the spirit comes upon us, you will be my witnesses. I read a stat recently that said 95% of those who claim to follow Jesus don't tell other people about Jesus. And I heard a missionary recently say, why would Satan wake up a church that has willingly shut itself up? You see, the early church would gather together to worship Jesus, sing praises to Jesus, to hear preaching about Jesus. But we're also gonna see in the book of Acts, they will scatter to the ends of the known world, sharing Jesus with others. They gather and they scatter. Jesus told his disciples, the spirit would come upon them and they will be his witnesses and to wait until that happens. And just like a person who's sitting in a movie and they really have to go to the bathroom, but they don't wanna miss a single thing that happens, right? That's the anticipation I picture with these disciples. They're like, I don't wanna miss it when it happens. But when it does happen and the spirit fills them up like a mighty wind and like tongues of fires, what does it do? It pushes them out to start to share. Immediately they go out and they start to share. And the only thing I can conclude from this text, that if we claim to be followers of Christ and we read this and we don't see this true in our own lives, then the only possible scenarios could just simply be this. We're either being disobedient or we don't know Jesus. That's the only option. We're either being disobedient or we don't know Jesus. And I know that is hard, and I love you, and I've been putting this into my own mind this past week. 
And if you don't agree with that, I would love to meet with you. Grab a coffee, physically distant, of course, whatever. But we would drink coffee and let's talk about this. Because there is no such thing in the book of Acts of a follower of Jesus who is dwelled by the Spirit who does not share. And as we share, there are going to be some who hear and want more. And guys, there are going to be some who are just going to laugh at us. Last two verses, 12 through 13. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. So some see what's going on here. They recognize what they're saying and they want to know what it means. They want to know more about it. There's others, however, who discard it as nothing more than the followers of Jesus just being drunk. I mean, this happens, church. Some hear believe. Others sneer and reject and make fun of us. Some hear and see the working of God and just discard it as nothing more than just circumstances. And this should be no surprise to you if you claim to follow Jesus. Jesus says as much in John 15, 18. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Let me read that again. This is from Jesus. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus says to us, I get it. I know what this is like, and don't worry about it. When they mock you and ridicule you, you're in good company because they did that to me. So Mission Church, let's be faithful to share Jesus has placed his spirit inside of us. He will use us. Let's be willing to associate with Jesus and let us do so with confidence. You know what I oftentimes say to myself before I get into a conversation? This happened to me last night, okay? So we did Halloween, right? We set up a table outside. Well, the next thing you know, nobody came through and all the neighbors got together in one driveway. Some of these neighbors I have not met. And we're going around, hey, what do you do? Well, hey, I'm a contractor out at Nellis or out Creech or something like that. And then they look at me and they go, what do you do? And I will tell you, there is nothing that stops a conversation like saying I'm a pastor. <laughs> so this is what I say. Just say it in my head. All my approval and significance and worth is in who Jesus is and what he's done for me, not in how they respond to me. And I shared I was a pastor. And the conversation, by God's grace, kept going. You see, when I was a kid, my confidence was higher when I knew somebody was with me. And I will tell you, even as an adult, my confidence is higher when I know somebody is with me. When I had to stand up to that bully at the cul-de-sac on Park Lake when I was a little kid, I stood there with confidence because Mike McCloskey was standing there with me. When I had to do a hunter safety course in Kentucky and I had to shoot that shotgun and I shot it and I went flying back and hit the grill of my tr dad's truck, but I kept the gun up, right? And he was so proud, but I had confidence. Why? Because my dad was with me. Jesus says, it is better that I go away because when I do, I'm going to send my spirit and he's not just gonna be with you, He's going to be in you. How much more confidence does that give you when you go out to share your faith 
realizing it doesn't depend on you because Jesus made a promise, my spirit will give you power. Not might, will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Guys, let's be faithful to share. Let's be faithful to show. Let's do it for the glory of God. Let's do it for the good of our neighbors. But also let's do it for the defeat of the enemy in our city, amen? Because the only one who is gonna bring unity to everything we're going through right now is not what happens on Tuesday, right? The only one who can bring unity amongst a group of people from every part of the world in Acts chapter two is Jesus. And we're gonna see that next week. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now, completely humble and just in awe of your word. Father, I just pray for us as a church family. May we be a church that is passionate about your name, being known amongst all the peoples of this world. Even on my very own soccer team right now, I got a kid who speaks Bulgarian and Italian and Arabic. God, the nations, it feels like oftentimes, it's like we're living in Acts 2, they're here. And so God, give us opportunities to share and show Jesus with our words and our actions. And Holy Spirit, empower us to be your witnesses, to be witnesses for Christ, for the joy of our city, but ultimately for the glory of the Father. Be with us now. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.